This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus, the podcast which brings you real information about ADHD in a variety of areas. Today we'll be talking about parenting the child with ADHD and parenting the child you have. It's certainly always a challenge, which as most of you know is an understatement. And meeting those challenges is not intuitive. Usual kinds of ways to approach things uh, with other kids don't work. So how can you learn how to do it other than just reading a book? My guest today is Cindy, Cindy Goldrich, and she has developed an entire set of programs, online programs, as well as written a book, Eight Keys to Parenting Children with ADHD, that can be a great help. Cindy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So um, I, I really like the kind of guiding principle you have of parent the child you have, since I um, think many parents have aspirations or goals for their child, and it can be um, a unsettling to see that this ADHD child is not fitting into the direction you think they <laughs> ought to be going. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I came up with that concept years ago because I really think that parents parent out of love and logic. But when you have a complex child, love and logic are not always enough. So mm -hmm. parent the child you have, what that means is not the one you thought you'd have and not the one you wish you'd have, not the one you'd have if your mother-in-law got her way, yeah. but truly getting to know who that child is through a lens of understanding how the brain works, how kids work, how ADHD works in this case, um, and what some of the challenges they may face. And mm -hmm. I find that as a starting point, you know, once I work through this with people, um, they start to relax a little more, and they start to understand, and they start to that that road back to feeling confident as a parent because they're now looking at their child through, through a unique lens that, that we develop. Yeah, and I think that acceptance part that, okay, your child is not like all the others, not like the 92% of other kids. Um, it's also not a, something your child's trying to do or is a mean child or uh, intends oh, to, you know, get in your way, though it sometimes can seem like that, but definitely understanding how, what's going on in the brain with ADHD, but then put that in the context of your five-year-old or your eight-year-old or your 12-year-old. Um, that's, uh, that's so 
key to at least giving parents an idea of, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Now we can uh, approach what do we do about it. Exactly, exactly. So you, you have eight keys um, to parenting, which certainly uh, just reading through them may seem pretty uh, daunting um, things <laughs> to do. But I think you do give an excellent kind of step-by-step through the process as well as good uh, resources to help people with them. Um, Thank you. So let, let's just mention each of them and then um, talk uh, about a couple of them in more, more in depth. So the first one is sure. getting educated as we, we've been talking about. Right. Well, you know, the book is actually based on um, a workshop that I wrote about, oh gosh, it's about 10 years now I've been doing for, hmm. for that long, called Calm and Connected. And in, in terms of the eight keys, the first one, the first session that I do with parents is you have to understand what ADHD is and what it's not. And, you know, because one of the things parents ask me all the time is, well, how do I know if it's the ADHD or he's just being a bad kid, right? Yeah. Well, I don't think kids are just being bad kids. I think there's always more and different ways we can look at things. But if we we have to start with understanding how ADHD and executive function, by the way, mm-hmm. um, impacts learning and impacts behavior. Because once we understand it, then we can start to take some more control over what we do. Yeah, the understanding and and I think realizing this is not um, a passing phase. It's not a, a thing that derives from our um, society in this country or others now with phones and internet and everything else, but it's a a real neurobiological condition that is universal uh, anywhere from 5 to 8% of kids in just about every single country have been um, shown to fit the definitions of what we call ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's universal agreement that this is real, this is not just, oh, my kid got ADHD from watching too much TV or eating mm-hmm. too much sugar. You know, the first thing I tell parents is ADHD is not caused by parenting. It is yes. a neurobiological disorder. You are born with it. You can, in fact, and I know you know this, you can see it in the brain. I never suggest at this point spending the thousands of dollars it may cost to get a brain scan because mm-hmm. it's not going to help us with the treatment or even the diagnosis right now. But there's no denying that it's real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and while there are certainly some genes identified that affect the dopamine transport, which is the key thing that's uh, mixed up in ADD, there aren't good genetic tests to say this is the type you have, this is the medicine that works, those kinds of things. Um, we don't have really refined uh, genetic approaches to it yet. All right. All right. So that creating calm then is the next one, and that certainly would set the basis for where are we going from here, calming everybody down a bit. Yeah. And the funny thing about calm is parents very often, you know, when I first started out coaching, my intention was to work with the high school kids and the college kids. 
that was the population I initially was working with. And what I found was, you know what, if the parents didn't know what the parents didn't know, they weren't getting very far with their kids. Right. So they were coming to me and they were saying, okay, you know, work with my kid. And I was realizing, you know, one of the first things we had to do was we needed to all calm down so that we could reduce some of the chaos, the yelling and everything else. But that the parents, they were the ones very often, and again, parents are parenting out of love and logic. It's not easy. No. So parents themselves need support to calm down. So the calm really starts with the parent, and then we can talk about calming the kid as well. And it is a skill. It is a skill. It It can't be an expectation. You can't just yell at your kid and say, well, you just calm down. I'll go get you an ice cream. Yeah. Most parents will say, yeah, that, that doesn't really work so well, right? Because if mm-hmm. they could, they would. Yes, and I, and I think that's the, one of the other key things is kids don't wake up trying to figure out how to mess up the day for themselves no, or don't. their parents. They're trying right. as best they can, and the things that go along with ADD get in their way compared to what everybody else expects. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Certainly, see, by the time children are in um, 10, 12, 14, there are a whole lot of emotions and misunderstanding and set um, butting heads that have been going on, and it takes a time to get ahead of those. <clears throat> but if that can start in elementary school, um, age even four, five, six, and set that stage, then things I think are going to go a lot better on into the, the teen years. Absolutely. and But I will just say, since, uh, you know, parents sometimes say, well, my kid is too young for your workshop, my kid is too old for your workshop. To me, you know, you're parenting the kid's whole life, but certainly until they're launched, until they're out there and independent. So if you've got any parents out there listening who have older kids and they feel like, oh, God, it's too late, it is never too late. It's it never is too never late. too late to start your relationship with, you know, with your kid and develop that calm, which really brings us into, you know, the next, the next key, which is strengthening connection. That connection is what's going to help bring you through that loving, accepting, non-judgmental connection. But sometimes we need to work on that too because the relationship has gotten so frayed that, and especially in those teen years, parents feel just so defeated. They feel like, oh, my God, my kid doesn't want to spend any time with me. Well, the exact homework I give them is to spend time. But we talk about, well, how are you going to spend time? What's that time going to look like? How can we make that time valuable? And how can we make it attractive? to your kid because sometimes we need to just build back that relationship and kids have to learn um, by the experience to trust okay this isn't I'm not going to get yelled at all the time I'm I'm going to see that mom's accepting the fact that okay you lost something or this and that let's just work through and figure out how we can do better next time so that Mm -hmm. trust starts to build in that that connection Definitely. Yeah. So then the connection's there, and then that communication to keep things moving forward and on into the collaboration, that's certainly a a key part of it as well. Huge, huge. 
you know, when we talk about communication, it's, again, how can I communicate to my child? Yes. Not just, you know, my own skills. And a lot of times parents say, well, my kid doesn't know how to communicate. It's not putting blame on the parent. I'm not doing that at all. What I'm doing is I'm acknowledging that, you know what? Sometimes we need to work on some of those skills. And I give parents a clear roadway on how to get there, how to develop mm-hmm. the, com- the conversation, how to teach your kids to develop the conversation. Again, in a way that, you know, even the teenagers who are rolling their eyes, we're going to get through to them too. Yeah, and the same way as kids don't wake up trying to figure out how they can mess things up, parents don't either. They're doing of course. the best they can, and a lot of that is what you learned and saw when you were a child as a parent. Uh, I know mm-hmm. I caught myself with my even four, five, six-year-old kids when they were that age saying something and thinking, I've heard that when I was a child and I didn't like it then. How can I not <laughs> not say that? But that just was, you know, what seemed to be the thing to say at the time. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the joys of my life, honestly, is when I work with parents and, you know, this is not to be sexist. I've had this with the moms too, but very often with the fathers who say, well, this is how I have to talk. And then a few weeks later, they'll come back and they say, okay, you know, wow, I shifted and I can't even believe, you know, how it shifted our relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is hard in the moment in when, you know, you get triggered by how come you didn't do this yet or you messed up again, you lost something. And I think that gets back to the set up the calm, have the background to be able to say, okay, getting a better understanding of what's going on with my child. So then it it is a challenge for parents to step back and say, I can't just jump into it and have a flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the, the things that I bring up now from some other uh, work and observations of other people in the field of ADHD is the concept of rejection sensitivity. If someone mm-hmm. with ADHD perceives being rejected, ignored, discounted, bang, angry. Uh, some people it's instant depression and self-criticism, but there's just this flare-up of the comment, the loud uh, yelling, whatever, either the child does or parent with ADHD does. and. Many parents, the, the child gets it from um, the parent. That then disrupts relationships, and it's not over big things. Um, so that's another challenge just to realize this is there. Okay, we'll let it blow over, and then let's talk about it. So there's some understanding and acceptance that I don't like the way it feels when you do that. Let's uh-huh. figure out a way to... Uh, reduce that and and just have the awareness. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, going back to that theory that that parents need specific tools and strategies, we need to really, you know, delve into what do you do in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. because in the ideal situation, you're doing all this proactively and nice and calm, and then we can have these nice, wonderful conversations, but you also need to be prepared in the moment when there isn't that calm, when there is that stress. How are we going to react and what are we going to do? So these are all the things you have to work on. 
Yeah, yeah, that that's where it gets down to the nitty-gritty of how do you do it? Okay, it's well and good to read the book, and, and maybe there's some ideas there. And that's where I think the online um, kinds of things can – people are not just reading it but also seeing it, watching other people model one way or another. Um, and that's just another way of getting that information into the brain and, and a more complete understanding. Right. Yeah. So the collaboration, um, and I I think some parents might, uh, and I know I have figured, how do I collaborate with a seven-year-old and, and uh, what input do they have in terms of what we ought to do here and there? I'm the parent. I ought to know that. And right. That usually doesn't work. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Some kids, and again, this is my own philosophy, but some kids come into this world and they're sort of, it's not that they're, you can manipulate them and you can shape them that much. They're, they're unique. But some kids come into the world a lot more strong-willed and they really mm-hmm. need to be included more in the decisions in their lives. And very often it's the kids with ADHD who are those, kind of more strong-willed, um, reactive kids. So when you don't include them in the decisions in their lives, they push back a lot more. Yeah. So it's how we include them in the decisions in their lives. Um, you're still the parent. You're still going to have the, you know, the final say. But you could say to a 4-year-old and you can say to a 17-year-old the same sentence, wow, you know what, you've really you're really growing up and I bet, you know, you want to have more of a say about what goes on. You say that to any age kid because they're always growing and they always want to feel valued. They always want to feel acknowledged and recognized for their uniqueness and their skill and their talents. Mm -hmm. So by letting them know, hey, I recognize you, let's hear what's going on for you, that's going to calm down the situation. So that's where some of the collaboration really starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, certainly it is important, and I see um, maybe not as much as I'd hope I would, but with um, some parents, they're starting that when kids are young. Some, I think, go the other, like an 8-year-old, well, what do you want to do about it? And they're putting on the child who may think, I don't know, um, or just come up with any old thing. But other parents are um, asking questions and then giving feedback, valuing, valuing the child's input. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes saying, I know you really want to do that, but we aren't going to be able to stop for ice cream, go to grandma's over the weekend, let you have a video game marathon for eight hours a day um, and yet still valuing the fact acknowledging that that's what the child's feeling right now right sometimes it's not a matter of helping them not be frustrated it's a matter of helping them deal with their frustration mm-hmm yeah um, and that the uh, I think next two parts six and seven keys of being consistent and predictable 
but then all also developing the consequences which have impact with ADHD because negative consequences rarely if ever work yeah no absolutely um, and and we understand why I mean if you if you know about the AD, the brain with ADHD um, there's an underactive part in the reward and motivation center of the brain. It's just mm -hmm. part of, you know, part of the challenge, the real challenge of what ADHD is. So that means when you're, you know, I always tell parents, we don't deal with consequences until we've dealt with all these other steps first. That's mm -hmm. why this is sequential. So we can talk about consequences after we've calmed things down and we've been clear and we've communicated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Consequences aren't going to work unless we've done everything else as we need to. Yes, um, and one of the the sticking points a lot of times uh, that I see, particularly, um, well, at any age, high schoolers a little bit um, more willing and recognizing they have to roll with it a little bit, but having a teacher understand how this child learns. It is going to be different. You need to use a slightly different way of getting through to that uh, child. And some teachers are so rigid that this is the way it's got to be. I've been doing this 30 years and you've got to adhere to these rules. That often doesn't work um, in terms of the, the connection, um, but the consequences. No, you have to stay in from recess because you didn't finish your classwork. I don't think there could be a worse thing for a kid with ADHD than not having a chance to get out and run around. Uh, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. But here's the thing, David. Teachers, part of their education is not about ADHD. It certainly So is. that's why, you know, after I was doing the parent coaching for years, I then developed my own teacher training course. And I go into school districts across the country, and I teach the teachers. Oh, so I'm boy. teaching them. Yeah, oh, it's been phenomenal. I teach oh. teachers how to understand these kids and how to work with them in the mainstream classroom, because that's where most of these kids are. Yeah. Even if they're receiving services, they're still in that mainstream classroom. And I've had you know, the honor to have a huge impact on that side as well. So the neat oh. thing about what I do is, I work with the parents and I work with the teachers, so I'm able to have that full wraparound of yeah. support. I really understand the perspective and the challenges of the teachers. I understand the perspective and the challenges of the parents, so I'm able to communicate that back and forth. Yeah, I, that's been the, the hardest thing for me to figure out is how to help teachers understand ADHD. And I've got some patients who are teachers and they have a lot of great ideas. Um, and others that seem to still be in the, well, that's just an excuse or it doesn't exist or um, that stuff, you have to learn how to do it anyway. And when there are conferences or workshops, the teachers who are already interested are the ones that attend and the ones that are having a hard time or dismiss it, they don't go. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'll tell you, I actually have an article, and forgive me, I forget the name of it, but um, one of my recent blogs a few months ago was exactly on that issue. 
because I had so many teachers say to me, you know, at the end of my teacher training, wow, this is fantastic, I get it, but what do I do about my colleagues who weren't here and don't believe in any of this? So I literally wrote an article on Great. how to help the teachers help the other teachers. Well, it's, it's, I'll look it up. It's and, an issue. Yeah, pass it on to, to teachers. So sure. do you usually get an invitation, say, from a school district or from a particular school? How does that work in terms of the, the workshop? I would get an invitation from the school district um, to come in, and I've done full-day trainings. I've done half-day trainings, and it's been really great. I also, I mean, one thing that I've done also is after I've trained the teachers, I've then gone into their classrooms just to be an observer. So let's say I was observing, let's say, a third-grade teacher. I would have the other third-grade teachers sit with me, and we would kind of quietly dialogue about what was going on, not to critique the teacher, but right. to support that teacher with some of their challenging kids to make the observations because so many of these are patterns of behavior. So if I'm helping one teacher, you know, we know I'm helping the other teachers as well. So we're able to kind of triage and see, well, what do we do about these kids, you know, these kids so that the other classrooms can model that as well. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had teachers um, say, gee, this is so helpful, um, can we have our own kind of support group and touch base with you every once in a while? I have a school district I've been consulting in for four years doing exactly that. Yep. Great, great. Cause I, and that may be one of the ways to get the teacher who doesn't believe in it, thinks it's too much work, whatever, seeing others using it and getting having a, a smoother time with less behavior things, and they may um, start coming to a meeting and then find out, oh, there are other things I can really do, um, mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. Um, so in terms of um, the choices, which is the kind of the last of these keys, um, where are the, the choices? What choices do parents and children have um, when you're talking about this? The reason that that's the last key is because at the end of the day, we push a kid up a mountain so far. And parents always worry, oh, but if I stop pushing, you know, if I stop helping yeah. him, if I stop doing this and the other, he's going to fall down. But we need to help them make that choice. They need to walk into the arena. But there's mm -hmm. so much we can do before we get to that point, and that's why it's the final key. It really has to do with, you know, the fact of the matter is that we all have free will. Yeah, and if it, having gone through all the others, if a child has the confidence, parents backing me up, I've got some skills that my parents have helped me develop, then um, they're going to be able to try things or sometimes run into the old ADD patterns. I would think it's a lot better to try it, have it not work, and then have a parent help you figure it out when you're 14, then run into it on the job when you're 23, and that's a lot harder to um, put together and have yeah, a good outcome. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I have so many parents call me and say, I don't know what happened. My kid did fine all through high school, and he just you know, yeah. failed out of his first semester of college, and these are good colleges. These are bright kids. Yes. I understand yeah. what happened. 
Sure. So all of a sudden, we yeah. were pushing them up the mountain. They were doing the academics, but we were doing everything else. Yeah, yeah, and it's overload from I've got to do laundry. Uh, I missed when the cafeteria is open. I don't have anything to eat, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then, well, I might as well party or, hey, I've got plenty of free time. Yes, but you have 300 pages of reading by next week. Right. Um, and not, right. But the bravado kicks in. Oh, I'll be able to handle it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that learned, I work better under pressure um, right. as in right. I don't have to do it now. I'll do it later. And at some point in life, that doesn't work. Um, yeah. It doesn't work yeah. at all. Um, so the uh, I think that the next thing to look at, and I guess we're going to have to kind of summarize and keep this as a lead-in for another um, show, and that's the online um, training that you offer through your website, really very extensive um, resources uh, for parents and for students. So right. how, do, how do those work? Is it a set number of sessions? Is there... Sure. So so the the first thing, and, and I honestly believe that any time a physician or whoever it is doing the diagnostic work, whenever a child is diagnosed with ADHD, regardless of whether, you know, the kid is given a script for medication, the parent must be given a script for parent coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a parent doesn't understand some of the things we've talked about, and of course that was just the headlines, but the depth of it, then the parent can't parent effectively. So I always start people with my common connected workshop series, seven session workshop series that the book is based on. Um, session one, they can come to without signing up for you know, the rest of the series. Um, and then I walk them through step-by-step step all of these different sessions. They can do it, you know, I have people that come see me in New York, so I do it live in New York, and at the same time, I do it as a live interactive webinar um, accessible from anywhere. Great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and I am working on this summer, the the uh, project is I'm going to be bringing it all as an e-course um, in the next six months or so for those who can't participate, you know, live, they'll be able mm-hmm. to do it that way Boy, as well. That's superb. So we need to uh, wrap up, and I'm going to summarize that I think the basic um, underlying foundation of all these eight keys to parenting is parent the child you have. Learn <laughs> yeah. about your child, and because, yes, any child is different from another, whether they have ADD or not, and there are more differences and more impact of those differences with the kids with ADHD. My guest today has been Cindy Goldrich, who is an ADHD coach and mental health counselor. She has an extensive online resources for parents and kids through her ptscoaching.com website and has also written a book on eight keys to parenting children with ADHD. And thank you, Cindy. This has been a a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much for having me. We'll see you next time, or at least talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening, and be well until then.